You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, honey. It's time for Chasing the Word, Monday, Psalm 127, in our series of the Songs of Ascent. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. This psalm is one thought added later on in the process of developing the Songs of Ascent. It is attributed to Solomon. So it sounds familiar in that sense, but it kind of stands out a little bit in the progression of the Songs of Ascent because it doesn't sound exactly like all of the others that surround it. Some of the things from the era of Solomon may have been adapted a bit to make it more singable. Maybe. So there are editors, of course, in songbooks. And I think about hymnals being produced by denominations over the past few hundred years. And when hymnals are produced, they have a committee that assembles the best of the best of the past however many years that are being compiled. And yet the core of it is there. That's why they came classics. This is a psalm that's a classic to the people who are now using it. So I would suspect, Hun, that in this psalm, we're talking about here how the house is built. I'm guessing that we're finally getting our first real glimpse over the rise coming from the city of David into the Temple Mount area. And maybe you're catching the top of the rafters that mm. hold up the parapets around the temple. Again, we don't really know what the temple at the time that these psalms were assembled for this purpose actually looked like because they had gone through a number of iterations. And all of them, of course, to history had been destroyed. But nonetheless, it was a unique and discreet building that was different than all the rest. So if you're coming up on that rise on the hill and looking over the rise... Maybe you're getting your first sign that that building is close. And you can see something, some part of it. That's where we're headed. Well, I can see that perfectly because the beginning of this psalm talks about building the house Mm -hmm. and the city and the walls around it. So perhaps that is exactly where they are standing as this psalm is sung. We've gone through a number of different translations in this series, but we kind of locked in for these last few songs. On the voice translation, it does a really good job of making it accessible in the language of our day, Mm -hmm. but it treats it with a lot of respect. Sometimes people think that some translations are too casual. I don't think the voice is like that at all. I think it's very particular about how it respects the original meanings of the words and puts them together in the poetic nuance that this song was originally written in. So let's go ahead and read it again in the voice translation. Well, this is a song of Solomon for those journeying to worship. Unless the Eternal builds the house, those who labor to raise it will have worked for nothing. Unless the Eternal stands watch over the city, those who guard it have wasted their time. God provides for his own. It is pointless to get up early, work hard, and go to bed late, anxiously laboring for food to eat. For God provides for those he loves, even while they're sleeping. Know this. Children are a gift from the Eternal. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Your sons born in your youth are a protection, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Happy is the man who has his quiver full, for they will help and protect him when he is old. He will not be humiliated when he is accused at the gate, for his sons will stand with him against his enemies. Hmm. This sounds very much like even a song of David. Hmm. Now I can see hints of that. Solomon respecting the uh, the warrior tradition that his father comes from. He inherits that, but he wasn't known as a man of war, mm-hmm. although he was a commander. But he also has a lot of hints in here of being in the mode of Ecclesiastes. So perhaps it's later in Solomon's life where he's speaking about what's good about being old. Mm-hmm. And in Ecclesiastes, you and I did a series on this for a couple of years, that in truth, the writer of Ecclesiastes seems to say there's not a whole lot great about getting old. <laughs> yeah. But if there is to be something great, it is about appreciating and being surrounded by 
the good things that have come out of your life, the fruit of your life, mm-hmm. which quite often is your family. Yeah. So he celebrates those things. And I see that happening very much right here. He talks about building things in our lives, the things that we build, not just the people, like you said, the children, but he talks about the actual tangible physical things that we build. If God's not involved in that, if we're building for the sake of building, if we're amassing our wealth and our kingdom and our footprint here on earth, if God is not part of that, it's vain. It's all for nothing. And he says that clearly throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Total futility. It almost seems to me like someone went into the book of Ecclesiastes and just cut out this little excerpt and pasted it into the Psalms. It sounds very much like what you were saying, how getting older just is worth nothing in some ways, the way Solomon seems to look at it. So now we have this little page lifted from the past, put into the present, but it is a very hopeful version of that statement. He's not complaining here in this Psalm. He's saying it, it really is a good thing to be surrounded by those you love and to know that you have a legacy. Mm-hmm. But why do you have a legacy in this psalm? Why is it important that you have people come after you? Well, because you're still alive. You're still engaged in life. You're still participating in your community, participating in the life of the temple. And later in Israel history, they would come up with synagogues, which are mm-hmm. kind of what our churches are based upon. Mm-hmm. So the writer of the psalm, probably Solomon, is saying that this is the good stuff being alive, being part of a family, being part of a calling, being part of a heavenly family, a kingdom that comes from heaven. There's a lot to celebrate. Mm -hmm. He's helping the people who are traveling with him through time and space to rest on that step and consider, this is what we're assembling ourselves to do, to ascend to the temple. But it's not just a temple built of stones. Mm -hmm. We know in our Christian theology that we're talking about living stones as much as we're talking about the stuff of the earth itself. So a spiritual reality is emerging here. I also like that in your translation you're reading from, it talks about the futility or the frustration or anxiety. Mm-hmm. I don't think Solomon is saying that it's not worth really working hard. What I think he's saying is it's really bad to work hard all day long anxiously. Mm-hmm. There is a lot to be said for putting in the full day's work here, and there's a lot of reward to it. But fretting the entire time wipes out all the gain. Yeah. We do live in a very anxious society, a very anxious time in our histories. That's concerning on many levels. It really does terrible things to our health and our interpersonal relationships. But it also puts a barrier up with our ability to be completely transparent, even to ourselves. So I totally agree with what Solomon is saying here. We don't need to do these things anxiously laboring and trying to find food. It starts at verse 2 by saying, God provides for his own. Now, that sounds like a very trite phrase to me because there are so many hungry people in this world. And we are all made in the image of God. Are they not also God's own? But then I remember what Jesus says in Matthew 24. When did we see you hungry and feed you? He's expecting us, the body of believers that are Christ's love and, and God's provision for the earth. He wants us to be those hands and feet that take sustenance, that take the health, that take the medical supplies, that take all of the things that are needed to those who don't have it. Reading verse 2 in the NCB translation, it says, It is useless for you to rise earlier and delay taking your rest at night, toiling relentlessly for the bread you eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that you is where the emphasis is really here, because you're talking about being aware of those around us, that everyone has needs, Mm -hmm. including us. 
But if we are so consumed with just taking care of what we think we need, overreaching because we're fearful that we won't have enough. Right. We will never be generous or with God himself if we're so concerned that I'm my only plan. I am plan A, B, and C for me. Mm-hmm. And we isolate ourselves from the idea of community or God's provision or his joy in sharing from his cup of wealth to spill over on us. If we just don't have that attitude and we're always, always anxious that we're never going to have enough for us, Mm -hmm. we end up not with the reward of what we earn from our labor, but we end up with the anxiety of what we earned from our labor is probably not enough. Yeah. There was a pastor that said this often from the pulpit when I was growing up, and I never forgot it. And he said, some people live as though they're getting all they can, Mm -hmm. canning all they get, and poisoning all the rest. That's exactly what Solomon, I think, in this psalm is warning us against. Don't live in such an anxious way that you're amassing wealth, you're amassing stuff and goods and all of that, and you're poisoning everything around you so that those around you don't benefit as well. We think that Solomon was miserable at the end of his life with everything he had. And we move on to verse 3, and he talks about having children, and children are a gift from the eternal. The fruit of the womb is his reward, and we absolutely believe that, that the children that we bring into this world are such a gift and a treasure. I mean, I tell that to all of our children, our adult children as well. You're such a treasure. And I just want them to hear me, their mom, say that all the time because it's true. They are such a treasure and a gift. And as we grow into our maturity, our adulthood, really— Remembering that this treasure is something that is something we have to perceive from God's perspective Mm -hmm. more than just our own. Because we could seriously sit and dwell in our own resentments of hurts that we may have experienced, even from our own family, over our lifetime. And stew on the things that have offended us or that have alienated us. We don't know what's gone before for all of Solomon and his children. We do know historically that there were all kinds of things that came up that were disasters. Mm Mm-hmm moral failures and breaks in the family. And yet he says, in spite of all that, what a treasure it is Mm -hmm. that these people exist because of me. God used me to do this. What do I need to see about the people that you've given me that I don't know yet or that I've forgotten? Mm -hmm. Refresh my soul, Lord. Redirect my thoughts. Let me think toward them the way you do. I would caution, though, that if you're in an unsafe situation and the relationship that you're trying to maintain because you think it's a godly thing to do is hurtful and harmful to you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then there are boundaries that oh, could be set up that, that are safe for you. And that's important. I am assuming that we're stepping into this conversation with some discernment and with some willingness to be reflective right. on our past. Yeah. Owning up to our part of a relationship, good or bad, is really important, I think. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry— These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160. Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. 
Thank you for loving us in this way. Owning up to our part of a relationship, good or bad, is really important, I think. Mm. And there are times, of course, where things are dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we need to step aside and let someone else's wisdom and discernment help us at a time when we just don't know what to do next. But I think where Solomon is right now is, in spite of the history that we read about in the Word of God, he goes before God, and God gives him a heart towards his children. Mm -hmm. And thanks God for that. So what we see is a thankfulness that we are here together. He's at the gates wondering if someone's going to accuse him in his old age. Someone's going to mock him. Who's going to stand for you at times like this? The people that know you and that love you the most Mm -hmm. and who derive their identity and their purpose in life from the people that they came from. Well, I get a little tickled when I read this last part of this passage because Solomon had literally hundreds of wives and concubines. I wonder even if we know how many children Solomon actually had. He could have had an army of children. I imagine somebody could probably do a genetics (laughs) study here and figure out where his DNA ended up around the planet. So it's easy for him to say, I have these people that are going to stand with me when I'm accused because these are my children and they're loyal to this royal family. I guess what I kind of imagine is that when you have the luxury of being able to sit back and be poetic on things and take time to be creative, he's writing a story here. He's writing, in some ways, an everyman story. So maybe he sees himself as that from time to time, but he's also speaking for a little guy who can't sit up there in the castle and write these great poems. I imagine that he's imagining that he's sitting there imagining what it's like to be at the average guy. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great for the average person who has just a few around him mm-hmm. to have this sense of richness? Well, we know that it was very important for the people of Solomon's time, for there to be many sons. Because it was the sons in that culture who inherited the wealth. If there was daughters only, then the wealth or the property holdings went to the deceased man's brother. Or paid out through dowries to the daughters. Yeah. So it was a huge, huge, important part of daily life for them to have sons. And it was a protection against marauders or people who would come against them on their farms or in their homes. They needed that protection. Yeah. What is that tradition not saying that everyone just knows? The reality in life that life is hard Mm -hmm. and that especially in circumstances that they lived in without medical care, without modern science, without nation states and social systems, Mm -hmm. they had only themselves and the fear of the unknown, Mm -hmm. and the hope of a God who could conquer all that. And yet they knew, in practical terms, the likelihood of all of your sons and daughters making it to adulthood and living beyond you was very slim. Every person was probably going to go through a loss, if not multiple losses. Mm -hmm. They were going to see their own children die, one after another. That was a reality. So the nation of Israel that he's speaking of here... It is kind of a glorious picture that doesn't speak of the harm or the hurt or the trauma of losing people you love. But it's right there. Mm -hmm. So they all know what it's like to lose someone in their family. And what a joy it would be to get to that point in your life where you're not worried. Your sons are strong. Your whole family's with you. You don't have fears of people attacking you or stealing your property or killing you in the street. There's a sense of safety is what he's Mm -hmm. talking about, which is a psychological, a spiritual state as much as it is a physical reality. 
Well, many people in today's times will use verses like this as kind of a pulpit to say, you should have many, many children. You should have so many children and just keep having children. And It's not an observation, it's a doctrine. Right. Yeah. And those of us who have, I mean, we have four children, and I'm thankful that we do. I think it was a, a beautiful time in our home growing up with them. But that's not always practical for people. That's, no, I mean, not. our children themselves have said, you know, maybe we'll have two children. Maybe yeah. we won't. And you know what? That has to be their decision. And right. it doesn't need to be based on a couple of verses in Correct. the book of Psalms. Or that we're preaching at our children, this is the model. This is yes. the right model. You should have at least as many kids yes. as we do. That's not the point. We believed, and we prayed through this ourselves, that, mm-hmm. God, what do you want us to pray for? What do you want us to aspire to as far as the size of our family? Through a lot of circumstances I don't need to go into right now, the number four kept coming back to both of us. We just knew somehow that God was going to give us a family of four kids. And that's what we got. Mm. So God, I think, proved himself to his own word. He put that very number in our hearts. And we saw him bring that to fruit. And we're grateful for that. It is not something that we're preaching to our kids saying, you have to think this way too. The point is, we prayed. God gave us some direction. The same thing applies to you guys. To our own kids, we're saying, seek the Lord on this thing. Find out what his best place is for you as he created you and your family and the the families that you're building that are separate and unique from ours, but part of our bigger group. Find your path and trust God to bless that. Yeah, And I also would encourage this verse does not need to be used to those who struggle with infertilities Mm -hmm. and say, oh, well, you're obviously not blessed of the Lord because you haven't had children or you're unable to have children for whatever reason. I just think this psalm, Psalm 127, is a snapshot of the time of Solomon. Yes. And what Solomon is seeing around him, what he's ruminating on, right. and he's writing these things down because he sees that this is what his life has looked like, and this is what God has blessed me with. Yeah. So it's a snapshot of my It life. is a snapshot, yeah. And I think it's interesting that it's placed where it is mm-hmm. in the Songs of Ascent because this psalm is like plopped in the middle of these other psalms that are describing all of these vast things that God has done mm-hmm. and how he's watched out over our enemies and he's our help in the times of trouble. It's very personal. And then this snapshot of life in general, <laughs> to me, it was like, yeah. yeah. So it does seem a little shifting gears here. But it's not incongruous. No, no. We have to figure out a way to feather this into our own psyche. What are we being drawn into here? Why this one right here? Mm -hmm. So we do talk about what was likely to have happened on the physical journey up to the Temple Mount. I think what it establishes for me is that Solomon is reminding us that this is family business. Mm, That's good. And we're stepping into our home. It's not just that we're going up to God's house. God's saying, this is our house. I think that's what's kind of subtly being worked in here. How great it is to be together as a family doing this, Mm -hmm. going to the gates, going past the gates and into the city. He's making an important distinction here of what futility it is to pursue things for the sake of things, to have these endeavors that we're trying to, you know, make something of ourselves or the things around us and not include the most important people in our lives and God at the head of that. So building our house, building a city, pursuing wealth, pursuing even provision without acknowledging that God is the provider of all, he's the builder of all, he's the lover of all, is futility. That's the lesson that I learned from Solomon, like sneaking this in there. (laughs) Okay, we're going to the temple and it's an awesome experience. We've been on this journey, we're coming into the city, we're seeing this beautiful place. 
and it can kind of overwhelm us yeah. and we forget this is about God. This is not about my trip to the temple or this great journey. It's part of it. But this is about the living God. I am going to fall on my face before the living God. And he has to be included in all of these steps that we take in all of the pursuits. Indeed. And if you're looking at a house of God in front of you, and the scripture says, if the Lord doesn't build this house, those who construct it are laboring for nothing. Right. Now, build this house and labor seems like the same thing. But we would, in our language, might say the contractor, the person who actually gives direction, the one who has the blueprints, the one who says, this is the kind of house I want to build, not just a little place or a closet or a shack. I want us to be expansive here. I want all my family to be in this house. Someone is making the decision of what kind of house to build. Mm -hmm. And that person, at its best, is going to be God himself. Mm -hmm. Not that he says, no, what you want is not important. Only what I want is important. He's saying... What is important to me is the thing I know is going to bless everybody who comes here. So why not work towards something where everybody is truly welcome? Why not work towards something where when I come to visit with you, we're not crowded. We're not unable to have a conversation. All of us have room to be together. And there's all kinds of scenarios where I can say that God says, I can see this happening here. I can see us doing these things here. I can see us enjoying each other here. Like when you plan a vacation with your family and you say, let's go rent a home somewhere, like the VRBO commercials that come on TV all the time. Let's find a place that really suits us. Mm-hmm. Let's find a place where we can just be ourselves and we have a place to ourselves. Yeah. So they advertise on that virtue. Being together is important. And being in a place that you all enjoy together, your style, your kind of experience and family that you are is important. You need to find a place to be there. God has already taken that into account for us. Mm-hmm. And so as we go to the temple, figuratively and back then literally, we're stepping into a place that God has already prepared for us. I think the key word here is unless the eternal yeah. builds the house. And I love that the voice does that so well, reminds mm-hmm. me of the eternal attribute of God. God is eternal. He sees the before, the middle, the after, the not yet seen, all of it. He sees it. He knows it. And if we can rely on him, we can absolutely trust him to love us deeply and passionately the way the word of God says he does. And appropriately. And appropriately, then we can know that the house that's being built is for his glory and our benefit. When we've been refreshed and we want to join the building process and God says, step up with me. I have a skill for you to learn. This is how I'm going to let you be part of building this house. You, friend, you're a great bricklayer. Go pick up those bricks. Let's get busy. You, you're an artist. Carve something for me. He has all kinds of ways for us to contribute to this house that he is building. Mm -hmm. And I want to be contributing, not just taking away and being a consumer. I want to be part of this family that has a sense of ownership and place and belonging. Yes. And I want the kingdom of God around the world to feel that when I enter into their presence. When we travel, you and I go to other countries. When we sit down with them, are we bringing something to the table that's going to bless do we know we're going to be filled up? Yes. Do we want to leave like we took away things from them? No. We want to take away things for them to the world. Mm-hmm. And we want to give things to them that bless them and keep them going where they are. All that stuff could be happening because we believe we have an economy and a community mm-hmm. that is completely funded by and established by God himself. 
That's a beautiful way to wrap this up, I think. Just reminded that God's economy looks so different from ours, and it's so much bigger and more generous than we could ever even imagine. So that's what we have for you today, friends, on Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word, Psalm 127. The study guides are on their way. We're working on those right now. We're going to get those up to the last three or four programs we've done. But keep checking back on those things because those are there for you to share with friends, maybe spend some time studying as well. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Compassion Radio. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.